anybody who looked like me, no one had a father, and no one's mother had time to show up. Period. Feel stuck with work? Press pause and listen in. Talk Human to Me, a podcast for entrepreneurs with nothing about entrepreneurship. In our show, founders take a break and talk to us about their identity beyond their company. I'm Jeff Shaw, your host for today. In this episode, supported by The Abstract and Overtone Labs, I talk with Nate Nichols, the founder and creative executive of Pal Group and the co-founder of Allyship in Action. But what he does is only part of who he is. What mindset did he have to adopt growing up between neighborhoods in foster care? And what did it take to rebuild a relationship with his mother? Grab a seat and kick back while our guest reflects and reconnects with the personal experiences and roots that created a foundation for their values, philosophies, and outlook on humans. We start each episode with the same question. What about humans strikes you the most? The thing about humans that strikes me the most is the imaginary sandbox they've built in their heads and metaphorically in their lives that they give themselves to play in. How high their slide is, how far their swing will swing, how many plastic castle bins they have to fill with sand and make their sand castle higher. It's those things in their sandbox and the space that they think they have or they think they do not have to play in it strikes me the most because we all have this big planet. We all have these homes. We all have whatever we have, whether it's a little box we live in in East Africa or South America or a trailer in the Midwest. It's our imaginations and our capacity to think freely and be freely and be self-expressed that allows us to exist in those spaces as big as we want. And what strikes me the most is the space in which people give themselves to just be. I just love a human who can walk into a room and light it up without saying a thing. And I also just adore a human who can walk into a room and just be present and just soak things in and allow other people in their sandbox to help them build the castle or just be content watching other people build the castle. And whether they've thought about making their castle bigger or not, I'm just always intrigued by how people frame their lives around how much they play and be and how much they do it with care, with finesse and with joy, with sadness. Do you build your sandcastles to fall over because it's fun? <laughs> like just watch them fall over? Or do you build your sandcastle because you want to be there forever, you know, and you want to leave a legacy? And it's not the, the action that I'm always intrigued by the most. It's the why. It's why they've given themselves that space. Like what in your family, what in your life granted you that amount of space? And what's going to give you more space or not allow to give you space? So I'm always intrigued just to see how people 
walk around existing in their sandcastles and how big and how far it goes because it just says a lot about who they are and how they operate and how they function in their day-to-day with their family, their loved ones, their friends, their businesses, and just looking into them and figuring out how to unpack it because I'm just here for a good time, not a long time, and I just hope everyone has that same perspective sooner or later or at least for a moment in their lives. That perspective of just being fully within yourself and embracing that and hugging that and sharing that with the world was not as clear maybe six years ago for you. What is it that helped you clear that fog? Was it personal relationships? I know you've also been through some things with your immediate family. You've gone through love and loss with people in different cities. You've recently gained a life love. What are the things in your life that helped clear that? The, the ironic part about the fog, it's like, it's not even there. I think I just ran away from the sandbox. I was just like, <laughs> I ain't even got time for the sandbox. People building empires and like buildings and like businesses and stuff. <laughs> They're like functionally a part of the society. And that looks cool. Like everybody else is doing it. <laughs> and so for a minute, I just ran with what everybody was doing. Even as an entrepreneur, I was just running into what everybody else was doing instead of truly getting a sense of what my identity was in the world of entrepreneurship and doubling down on just who I am. And I paused to just get present to realize that you could be a different type of self-express and not that the other level of self-expression wasn't right or wrong. It was just who I probably needed to be to survive. You know, I, I, I had to become a certain level of expressed or a certain type of expressed to survive, period, to like eat, you know? And so the fog isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just the haziness that it's a cloud. Just like any other cloud, it'll fucking dissipate. <laughs> like, it'll become rain going to the, the ground and go back up again. Like, it's just a big cyclical process. And for me, I literally just escaped to survive. And I just went in, became an entrepreneur because my family taught me to work hard. They came from Jamaica as immigrants. And they're like, yo, bro, food on table, roof overhead. You do what everyone else did that came here from Jamaica. And you just make money. Like, you want to eat? Like, you go and you make money and you figure it out. Um, there was no family support. There was none of that privilege. And so, for for me, the the it was inherent. I had to boil my first hot dog when I was six. I had to, like, buy a dollar spaghetti in a dollar sauce from the dollar store my sophomore year in college because there was no support from the family. And that's what I had to do. Our jobs, excuse me, went 100% to rent. And for me to eat was literally a 60-cent coffee from McDonald's working the Zaha retail in spaghetti, cans of spaghetti sauce for a dollar in noodles. I was like, ramen, I'm going to go classy (laughs) and buy spaghetti and meat sauce. (laughs) And even that was me trying to be self-expressed. I was like, I'm not going to eat ramen, all that sodium. So, yeah, it's not fog. It's just survival and... Sometimes you just got to do that. You just got to survive and you got to figure it out. You're essentially a fighter in this arena of life. 
that's something that I think doesn't just happen overnight. That's something that's bred. Your family, a good part of them immigrated from Jamaica. Where did you grow up? So I grew up in Norwalk, Connecticut, like an hour outside of New York City, Metro North. And I grew up in a place where, you know, you got Crips, Bloods, Latin Kings, Crip walking, blood walking. And I was put in foster care when I was born. I didn't like hanging out with my own family because the love wasn't there. And I would prefer to hang out, honestly, in the ghetto of Bridgeport than with my foster family and then actually hang out in Norwalk, Connecticut, where my family was raising me. Um, so when I was reunited at two, I'd still just go back and kick it with my foster family. And, you know, there was weed in the air. People would come home with blue flags and they'd be like, yo, Nate, do the Crip Walk. I was terrible. I could not be a Crip. There's no way I could have been a gangster. That survival was from having to be, again, someone I had to be to survive. I had to be a faux thug growing up in Connecticut because I had to just be that. I couldn't walk around and get my sneakers robbed because I was too soft. I couldn't walk around in my own home and just have somebody yell at me because they're having a bad day. There's no way that I could just allow that to happen to me and not allow my feelings to be suppressed. So I had to put on a very strong, stern backbone and uh, work ethic to just stay out of the house. Ever, ever since I was like six, I could God anybody back to my foster home via the highway so i knew exactly which on-ramp to get on and then which exit to get off what left which right to get home back to my foster family because that's how much love i had for them intuition i guess i had as a child to just navigate the highway that's something that i don't know may have been built may have been learned but like i just had to survive for me to be happy for me to be like a kid i see on tv kids being happy and playing with their parents and their friends and their brothers and sisters. That's what fun looked like in my own household was me watching TV. I had to figure out how to navigate back to my foster family where real fun happened. Family that wasn't blood. Kids used to, hey, go to summer camp. I should be like, yo, get me out of Norwalk so I can go to summer camp and play with some friends. Because those are people who I actually enjoyed being around and allowed me to be self-expressed, allowed me to try to figure out how to crip walk and fail. <laughs> and so that's where it was really built from as a child, just having to survive because there was just, there was no love, so I had to go find it. And I was fortunate enough to be fostered by a woman who provided an endless amount of love, which is very rare, and I'm, I'm very privileged in that regard. And it's not lost on me that I have love for a woman who... I had no idea who I was when she rolled me out of the hospital with her. As a six-year-old, it seemed that you had a lot of absorption of natural curiosity. I'd actually say my family put that into me. You have a group of like a dozen Jamaicans who dropped into this country in the 70s in racist America, dealing with their own sort of internal cultural racism back in Jamaica and fending for themselves in Norwalk, Connecticut. My uncle was the first black man to graduate my public's high school. They had to do what they had to do and survive. They pushed me and motivated me to be more intuitive and a bit of a hustler and uh, a bit more of an explorer. Because in my mind, I knew these people came from a different land I couldn't understand. For them to come from Jamaica, to land in Norwalk, Connecticut, and just fend and fight for themselves and learn the way of 
the land here and they just pushed me they just gave me the agency what 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 you want Nata? like what do you want to eat you want a hot dog go make it you turn the stove on you put the hot dog in the water it's like oh all right so like i'm like almost an adult now <laughs> so i gotta do adult things so if you're gonna give me this agency you you better be fucking sure i'm gonna take advantage of it and that was a bit of a privilege, I think, in my mind, uh, and also a privilege of growing up where I grew up. Being able to go to public school is crazy. I think going to public school in North Connecticut was like going to private school. It was insane. Like, Senator's sons went there. You know, the richest kids in the town, their kids went there. And to have access to those kids and see the love that their families shared with them, it was just like, oh, shit, love and family exists. Oh, shit, I got to be able to find and do things on my own. So I guess I should probably find love and family on my own. And in and, and retrospect, like I'm, I'm not like sitting here pen and papering how much I need more love in my life as a six or seven year old kid. I'm just thinking I just need to have fun and, and feel love right now and feel self-expressed and I'm not feeling it where I am. So how might I go get it? Let's take a break. Also, a quick word about one of our supporters. In proper talk-human-to-me form, we don't do can ad spots, as you all know. So we want to get to know the humans behind the sponsors we work with. I'm going to give Eugene Joseph a quick call, the founder and CEO of Overtone Labs, creator of the app Radical. Hello? Hey, Eugene. This is Jeff. So I wanted our listeners to get to know you and your company a bit better. Radical is about enabling and sharing constructive conversations. This means a lot to me because poor communication is a disease. When you think about the number of relationships and families that have broken apart, and countries that have gone to war because people don't know how to communicate, this becomes pretty clear. Radical was built from the ground up to expose users to people and ideas they wouldn't normally come across, and to make the ensuing conversations in live audio as productive as possible. As a musician, I also think of Radical and approach it as a piece of art. How can I use the medium of a tech platform to create something nutritious and beautiful? Tech has gotten a pretty bad rap recently, but I think there are so many creative ways we can use technology to solve societal problems. Thank you, Eugene. No problem, Jeff. Now, back to the conversation. Looking back at your blood family and your chosen family with lady do you see love as something that is unique to you in your own meaning great question and it's fucked up but as a kid i'm like white people know what love is period full stop if i want love i need a white mother period i didn't even know what love was i just knew it existed in white families like i'm just Seeing moms bring their kids cupcakes in the middle of the day, and every kid in that class gets a cupcake, and I'm just like, whoa, I don't get a birthday cake ever. They got a birthday cake, and we all get cupcakes. Damn, anybody got a party on the weekend that I'm not invited to? Damn. So that's what it was looking at as a kid. And again, this is in retrospect, but actually, as a kid, I'm like, I'm on my knees praying for like, can I get a white mom out here on these streets? Straight up. And it's so fucked up. But I, and I know I'm not the only person of color who's thought that thought or had that 
feeling as a kid as a naive kid who doesn't know what love is and you don't see your face anywhere in media there was no social media you couldn't see other you know types of families all i saw was you know black families being dropped off by the school bus like <laughs> and that was it there was no black parents in situation no one had a dad Nobody's father was in the equation. Not my brother's father was in, this, in the, the equation. And none of my friends either. Anybody who looked like me, no one had a father. And no one's mother had time to show up. Period. They had to put roof overhead and food on table. So if you're just bombarded with... What's that stupid show with the twins? Uh, <laughs> man, that's a bold-ass statement. And you just see these, like, two little cute white kids on TV. You're like, I know two little white kids like that. They go to my school, too. It's like all you can create is this visualization of what love is as a family when you're a child. Uh, not to mention, my mother, she had a mental breakdown when I was born, and she was put in psych ward, and no one ever treated her nice. No one ever treated her fairly or as a, a human being in the family or outside the family. And for me, I subscribed to that narrative. I didn't treat her fairly as a, as a son. And she didn't treat me fairly as a son either. And the way we share love has transformed tremendously. I wasn't able to love myself or my family or my friends until I gained the love of my mother back. Like, until I flipped the person that I vowed to never talk to and never love again. So I just flipped the script and was like, I love you. Did it feel so amazing to say I love you and embrace who you are and all your flaws and all your levels of being like she's the most self-expressed person i know and i live and idolize who she is because of that no one is funnier than my mother no one can be more self-expressed than her and be so much of themselves all the time you can't deny her presence and that's all i ever wanted to achieve and it's ironic because I, I just grew up pushing her farther and farther away from me, not realizing that all I need to do is bring her closer and I could be my, that much more myself and forgive her, forgive myself and those silly narratives that you have growing up and not allow them to own who you are and own your relationships with the idea of love and the way love shows up in all your friendships, your partnerships and any other relationship that it needs to exist, which is all of them. I wasn't even uh, able to embrace like the funnier side of me until I was able to get closer to her. I was able to really truly understand that those characteristics were a part of me, and a part of my fiber and a part of the light that I shine and share with people on a day to day and over a lifetime, hopefully, if we stay in relationships for our lifetime. Now, when you were reflecting on your childhood growing up, you felt like there was some inequity going on in your eyes. Does that manifest today as a part of how you've evolved as a human being? Does it become bitter or does it become a sweet memory? Does it become something that is just a added lesson to your continued journey in life? It's a little bit of it all. I'd say it's a fluid emotion because I think it needs to be felt in a certain way at certain times. And I say that because when I'm doing youth talks and I'm looking at kids in a space and they're giving me feedback and they're engaged in specific ways, I could just remember what it felt to be like them and be as rambunctious as a kid 
and it provides more empathy for me in those spaces to have more patience, be a bit more diligent and be a bit more on my toes, just allowing for them to be self-expressed because a lot of the homes that they grow up in and exist in, there's no space for self-expression. Sometimes when you get to school, it's the only place you get to be yourself. When I'm engaging with kids, I'm able to really like dial into um, what it meant to be a kid like that in they're at this moment where they're about to thrive and they just need some sort of catalyst. And so as I walk around as an adult and I meet people who don't understand the world I come from and I don't understand the world they come from and understanding what privilege is through that lens, it allows me again to have more patience and sometimes it allows me to just fucking shake, shake some shit to just, be like, yeah, yo, you're you're privileged, you know? And you need to get present to that. Like, you are privileged, and that shit's crazy. You need to understand that not everybody had the opportunities you did, and that's cool, and I'm happy for you, but, like, chill. Get present to, like, how you show up. It shows up in different ways, in different places, in different spaces. And so I get it, and I've seen it, and you just need to get present to it. You mentioned that they most likely do not understand and will never fully understand the experience that you come from. And then you also said there's other side to that in that they might also have things in their life that were trials and tribulations that I'm not privy to. I just don't know. Yeah, 100%. It goes back to the original question in the sandbox. They're being self-expressed across the table from me in a very specific way that just reeks of privilege it's not a word I'm going to throw out there, but it's in the back of my head. Like, on what end of the spectrum of privilege did you grow up in? What other stories and narratives exist in your life to create the size of the sandbox you play in? Right? How the hell did we end up across from each other? Like, there are billions of people on this earth. There's a reason we're in front of each other. Let's just get present to that and figure out where that story is. And maybe there's a potentially of an overlap of struggle or, you know, understanding what certain communities are going through or they just know challenges from a specific lens and knowing that there's always going to be an idea or a position of privilege depending on where you come from or how you grew up there is a sense of empathy i'm looking for in a dialogue that sometimes privilege doesn't allow people to arrive at i think privilege is a bit of fog at times in creating deeper relationship that act of pausing and and not going into a combative mode. Right. Instead, you try to practice grace. Is that something that you had to become more aware of in your life? And you're like, you know what? Maybe I need to kind of sharpen this knife a little bit more. I need to kind of hone and tune tune this instrument that I have in my in my toolbox. Yeah, I think the real the real grace lobbyist in my life was a gentleman named Casey Snyder, my first mentor when I was 18. This dude just had a heart of gold. He'd literally um, do whatever it took to just make sure I was um, good. He just had this knack for connecting with humans in general and allowing them grace into always saying affirmative and excited and positive. He was the first white dude who had a story just like mine. He didn't know his pops. Uh, he's the oldest of six brothers, and he wound up creating uh, a business that 
he was able to put food on the table for his whole family, like buy his mom her first home, paid for her chemotherapy twice. She had cancer. Always just practiced empathy and grace. And I had never knew someone who put that much grace in their lives. I realized Lady did that as well. Like she fostered 60 plus kids in her career as a foster mother. Inherently, there's just like this grace and this love and this empathy and this care that she provided for most of her adult life. And so it's always been around me. It was almost a shame that it took me till my mid-20s to really harness it and uh, master the art of it. Um, and I'm still mastering the art of it. It's still work. You can't ever stop working on yourself and, and addressing challenges. And I think grace is one of our mutual values as, as humans, which keeps us connected so well. I went to a, a conference last year, and this woman said on stage, if I give you grace just know there's a responsibility. And that blew my mind because it added a layer of this idea of grace that I never knew and I needed to understand the context of because in my adult life, I was just giving it away like hotcakes, just giving everybody grace and letting everybody just be however they wanted, no matter how much I felt like emotionally until it just ate me alive and I was deeply sad like straight up grace done i couldn't give any more grace period i'd cry anywhere i'd cry in front of your face in a bar in a mcdonald's ball pit i could be in a chuck e cheese pizza just crying to understand what the emotion of sadness is and having depressed feelings is crazy it's crazy it's crippling i was just in a very interesting tough uh spot and you know and i came from a family of fighters no one ever gave me anything. So it was like, I'm right at the bottom. How much lower could it get? And just one chance and one break after another. And I was able to just build from there. The value of grace was super important. And even just giving myself the grace. How crazy is that? A lot of people just don't give themselves grace. To be able to forgive yourself for making a mistake, you don't have to become your emotional reactions. Like I was watching a movie last night. Some dude threw his phone after not liking something that happened on the phone call. Why do people do that? <laughs> it's crazy. In my mind, I'm like, yo, you don't have to be your emotional reactions because someone's receiving you in the way you're showing up in that reaction. You don't have to be that. And I get it. Some people don't feel like they have the safe space or the behavioral habits or the practice of like reacting in, in a very specific way emotionally. But at the end of the day, if you start with grace, if you just know the concept of grace, I feel like you could just give yourself grace to be like, all right, I am not those habits. I am not my emotional reactions. I am not X, Y, or Z. And I'm going to create space for me to show up as something else. Let's take a break. Also, a quick word about one of our supporters. So we don't do canned ad spots at Talk Human to Me. We want to get to know the humans behind the sponsors we work with. I'm going to give Lala Openi a quick call, the co-founder and creative director of The Abstract. Hello? Hey, Lala, this is Jeff. So I wanted our listeners to get to know you and your company a bit better. What value does your company have that personally means a lot to you? With the abstract, our practice is essentially healing and dealing, sharing and caring. 
Um, this personally means a lot to me because it demystifies mental health work and reminds me that we're all living through the same human condition together. Like none of us lives in a bubble. And in my own journey to healing, it's been a give and take, ebb and flow, rest and recovery, coping and resiliency. Um, it's definitely hard work, but I've learned that sometimes the most profound work I can do is, is to keep things simple. Take some deep breaths, remember that I love and accept myself and my emotions as they are. There's enough organized chaos and disconnect that we deal with on a day-to-day. Healing and dealing, sharing and caring is not only important, it's revolutionary. Thank you, Lala. You're welcome, Jeff. Now, back to the conversation. Do you feel our next generation is actively taught the practice of grace? Because you work with a lot of high schools. Mm-hmm. When you work with these kids intimately, do you see that that's in them consciously? Or do you think that it is part of their journey that they're going to learn later on in their lives? It's funny because you, you think religion and like, these churches would be like milling out kids were just full of grace like and you get some grace and you get some grace and you get some grace <laughs> but on the flip side too there's probably a lot more space for hate now as well so it's not like well there's way more grace in it being shared there's also more hate and it's also being shared so there isn't like a, a one or the other situation it's just we're just living in a time where both these feelings and these outcomes of love and hate they have access to these spaces where things can get out of hand and have more legs in life than some should or shouldn't tell me about if you feel humans in general take ourselves too seriously why or why not (laughs) so in thinking about the first thing i'm like do even humans take themselves seriously enough do we take ourselves seriously enough are we just taking our surface level self seriously or are we taking our true emotional self seriously is there equitable you in all the spaces you truly want to show up on? Like where, what are your fucking values? Like, and how much are you investing? Where, like, are you taking the time to take yourself seriously in all the places you, you say you take yourself seriously in? Sure. People are taking themselves seriously and probably too serious in some areas to the point where it destroys them emotionally, professionally, in their relationships with their partnerships with loved ones, other children with climate change with political positioning whatever it is you're only one human being like chill (laughs) like don't try to be everywhere all the time like it's it's just good luck and good luck exhausting your sense of self uh because it will be compromised in other areas of your life and that's sad that's sad that someone has to live in that compromise that you created it's like a poop you just left there like you just you just left a big shit at your house and forgot to fucking flush the toilet because you don't want to like be present at home metaphorically and probably fucking literally (laughs) i feel like people are showing up as themselves on a fucking book cover you know smiling and cheesing but i don't know if they're showing up for the families and i think all we can do is just try to make sure people are present and showing up for the moment and showing up for the people that they truly have gotten present to investing love into. You only have so many relationships with people. And that was a hard lesson for me to learn. My partner really grilled that into me. Like, yo, you can't have love, love with everybody. You just can't always show up for everyone all the time. 
And you need to be okay with that, period. And I think Tristan Walker, he leaves work every day at 6 p.m. He was an re- entrepreneur resident. It's an amazing company. Just got bought by Procter & Gamble, like killer in these streets. Uh, foster kid, went to private school in Connecticut, and he still creates this level-headed headed amount of equity for his newborn baby, his wife, um, for his community, like developing and designing products for black people. And he got fucking Silicon Valley venture capital firms invested in this product, representing for the culture. And that shit's so fly. He takes himself very seriously in all aspects of his life. And that's the type of serious, I think, I really rock with. So let's disconnect the meaning of success and achievement from work. What does success or achievement look like for human beings, for you? Success looks like being present, like to, to be happy. And I've been using these three words recently. Certain points of the year, I felt very nourished. Like I had the right amount of energy and values from specific people. And it was nourishing for me. Someone introduced another word to me. It was enriched. I was like, damn, I feel like the nutrients have distilled and I'm able to function at a higher level from it. And I think as long as I'm feeling nourished, there's this intake, outtake, not overindulging or underindulging, like scarcity. Like I'm not operating from a scarcity mindset or an abundance mindset. Like, yo, man, like what the fuck does any of that shit mean? So like, I'm just trying to get nourished. Like... I'm just trying to like work out and eat chicken tenders at the in the afternoon because fuck it, I worked out, I earned it. And then it's like, all right, how enriched am I feeling from this experience? Like the fact that I'm like, I just want some fucking fried chicken. Put a desire and I want out there in the world. Very simple. It's chicken and it's fried. And I got it. <laughs> Every year there's a formula that I use and it's the experiences and the people equated to them. I do a reconciliation of those things, those two things. What are the top 10 experiences that have made me happy this year? Happiest or saddest? Like, actually get present to the saddest fucking moments of the year. Even if you had a great year, there must have been a tough day and a tough moment. And if you're not present to that, you need to double check. Because there should be checks and balances on everything. If you're not checking and balancing everything, that means you're spending too much time somewhere and you're not investing an equitable amount of energy into making sure you are right and everybody around you is right. So in my mind, success is mapping that out and taking pride in the fact that I have people in my life that I truly desire and want. And then people that I felt like didn't really enrich and nourish me, they're kind of out of my life. And it's just been a tremendous experience to just walk around and being like so how are you nate i'm fucking sad and i'm gonna cry any second now and be present to that i'm not gonna bullshit you because i did my reconciliation and i know how i feel and be able to share why put language around it and i could just say i'm sad here's why and allow space for if i'm open to it and feel safe to engage and help myself through that situation with someone else so success is really getting present to the people, the places, and just feeling enriched and nourished and happy. So talking with our guests, I noticed certain emotions come up, not just in them, but also in other founders. This got me curious about the psychology and science behind that. I called up Patricia Echeverria, 
who holds a master's in psychology from the University of Santa Monica. She's currently working on Creative Futures. You can find more information about this at creativefutures.co. One of her specialties is in career transitions and how our perspectives shift when different life situations occur. So she can definitely drop some knowledge on us. Hello? Hey, Patricia. This is Jeff. I got a question for you. As I talk with founders, one of the questions that crosses my mind is why it's so hard for human beings to change perspective on people or situations, especially if they've experienced something traumatic in their lives. I'd love to get your insight into that. Great question, Jeff. This is really interesting, specifically talking about founders. And I think that in some ways, in order to kind of create success, there's a certain way of doing things that is required. And in many ways, you know, you look at kind of society and you look at different individuals, it's like they'll, they'll rise to the occasion, right? And then there's people that might arrive to a situation and then they'll just feel completely deflated. So I think this is really interesting because as founders, you know, founders are definitely required to rise up to the challenge at all times. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they don't have trauma in their lives. When it comes to talking about trauma, I like to consider this idea that as human beings, we're constantly looking at the world from radically different perspectives, right? Everyone has like this color, this lens of perception. And our lens of perception is colored by the experiences we've lived. So the truth is that if we sort of go back in time, every experience that we live from the time we are zero to the present moments, we interpret it a certain way, right? There's, there's a certain emotional response that we have to every experience, and there's a mental interpretation. The only thing is that the traumatizing events, like those really, really stick. There's an emotional and mental and physical response of trauma to each of those events. And so when the traumatizing event happens, our body goes into a kind of a shock state. It kind of goes into survival mode. And then the physical then triggers the emotional experience we have in that moment. And in some very, very extreme cases, the person may not actually have an emotional experience in that moment, but that doesn't mean that it's not there. It's just, it's kind of gets stored in the unconscious. And then there's a mental interpretation. It's the interpretation of the past sort of coming back to color the perception of how you perceive others, how you perceive relationships, how you perceive circumstances taking place currently. Thank you, Patricia. Now, back to the conversation. Thank you for the awesome conversation. I hope what we've talked about has sparked some new thoughts for our listeners to reflect on. We end each episode with this question. Ultimately, what's the point of all of this? Fucking chicken tenders, dog. Chicken tenders. <laughs> it's just figuring out all the little things that, again, nourish you, dude, and getting it. If you can't find something small and enjoyable, just work on it. It should be attainable shouldn't always have to be like fighting and scrapping and finessing and, and ear hustling and hacking your way to the next level of life because shit it doesn't like 
definitely strive for that but also have some simple things that just make you happy whether it's snowboarding skiing surfing or chicken tenders find fully curated experiences of all of our episodes at talkhumantome.com backslash episodes also take a look at the work and causes our guests and visiting experts deeply care about at talkhumantome.com backslash discover we like working with sponsors that fundamentally care about helping people reflect and reconnect our sponsors are offering special treats to our fans directly in the show notes or at talkhumantome.com backslash sponsors this show takes a dedicated squad shout outs to designer lala openi for our show's artwork and to audio engineer mauricio escamilla for his audio wizardry please check out their companies and creations in the show notes or at talkhumantome.com backslash squad and finally infinite love to our advisors mentors friends and family you make our existence and our ability to keep going possible. Be well, be curious, practice empathy, and stay human.